Welcome to Dial It In, a podcast where we talk with interesting people about the process improvements and tricks they use to grow their businesses. I'm Dave Meyer, president of BusyWeb, and every week, Trig Violson and I are bringing you interviews on how the best in their fields are dialing it in for their organizations. So Dave, as we were trying to figure out who to have for podcast guests on our, our new Dial It In podcast, I thought, well, you should start at the beginning. And so then I thought about, well, the sales process. And then mm-hmm. I thought, well, no, there's probably the marketing process. And then I sort of devolved it quite a bit further. And so I found a great first guest. He is a classically trained chef and has a great business that I'm really excited to have him tell us about. And it's all around what should be the start of everything to everybody's uh, day as you're being an entrepreneur, which is a really obscenely good cup of coffee. Ah, very much so. Yes. Love it. So our guest today is Obed Santos from Idioma Coffee Roastery. Thanks for joining us, Obed. Yeah, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Tell me, uh, what is the meaning behind the Idioma Coffee name? Oh, yeah. So Idioma. Idioma translates to the word language in Spanish. So Idioma. Idioma, right? So Idioma is, uh, there's a lot of dialogue. As As a chef, when I would listen to other chefs speak or watch them do a demo when it's making, let's say, a chicken noodle soup, there's no language barrier because I can tell that they are chopping vegetables. I'm telling that they're heating the, the stock up. I know exactly what they're doing without them even having to speak. But in a sense, that is a language. It's the language of food. I'm talking idioma, the language of coffee. So similar to what wine connoisseurs do when they talk about wine, they can tell the smells, the, the feelings, what they have going on in their, in their mouth, in their nose, in their tongue. Um, that's exactly the same thing as it is with coffee. So cool. when it comes to talking about coffee and wine and food, yeah, everybody can uh, geek out on it. And it's a language that it should be celebrated and shared. Yeah. The universal language. I love it. You are a, a classically trained chef. Yes, Trigby. Tell us about that. You went to Le Cordon Bleu, right? Yeah, yeah. Le Cordon Bleu out in Pasadena, California. It was very, very eye-opening. I know that I used to cook for my wife and I when we met in college. And I went through the business ranks of Enterprise Rent-A-Car and then uh, ended up going to the culinary field because they let some people go. Well, not at, through Enterprise, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. But I went to culinary school in order to start my own business, which was going to be a private chef company. So once I graduated with highest honors in California, I opened up my private chef company in California. And a year and a half later, we moved to Chicago, where I pretty much picked up my company, went from Los Angeles to Chicago. Chicago as a private chef for one family, the Crown family, uh, billionaire philanthropists, the family of Chicago. It was me and one other gentleman, and it was it, that's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to express my creativity through food, and the people that on the receiving end of it get the instant gratification, and that puts a smile on my face. So yeah, so I did that for five years, and met some pretty cool people while doing that. Yeah, very cool. So what got you interested in transitioning? from being a private chef to all things coffee. Oh, yeah. And the pinnacle of private chef, right? I mean, you were crushing it. 
Yeah. Uh, how, what, what led to the change? Oh, great, great question, guys. The culinary school in California, there was a coffee class, coffee program. And they had you taste the coffee, pair the coffee with pastries, chocolates, candies, foods, all this other stuff. You had to be able to talk about it, just like you pair wine with food. And so knowing that I was able to control the final product, again, the creativity part of it, I started roasting with a little a little, uh, little home air popper for specifically for coffee. And that was about the time where Intelligentsia was starting to kind of make waves in the world. And there mm-hmm. are a couple companies. So Starbucks was already established, but the Intelligentsias, they were the craft coffees. And when we tried it, it was like, oh my goodness, this is really good. I bet I could duplicate that. And so I got the air popper. I started getting coffee from Sweet Maria's. And sure enough, yeah, it was awesome. It was great. I was able to control everything from the seat to the cup. And when we moved from Los Angeles to Chicago, and then we moved again from Chicago to Iowa, that's where it happened. The food I was making in Chicago did not translate properly to the people in Iowa. I was making world-class food. (laughs) I was making world-class food, and the people that were there loved them, bless their hearts, great people in Iowa. They just don't have that creative side that... Uh, you know, to explore different things, different textures, different colors, different proteins, right. different vegetables, different everything. And so I leaned back onto my experiences in culinary school when I was roasting coffee. Let's say, hey, let's see what we can do with uh, with coffee. Because if I if we were to move again, I don't need to reinvent food. So mm-hmm. coffee was a way to to do that, still be creative, still apply fire to a product, still get that instant gratification. And then the further we dug down, to the coffee industry, we realized that there were farmers that needed a lot of help. And so if I can do what I love and help people at the same time, everybody wins. I want to talk about the farmers because I think that's a really impactful part of your business. But before we leave your bona fides, I know you have a very unique classification and uh, accreditation in the field of coffee. So can you talk about the tests that you had to take when you had to smell yeah, because that that's an amazing uh, thing that you went through and the the, the standard yeah. that you have. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, no, I'm, that's uh, something I'm very proud of. Uh, it's called Q Grader certification. Q Grader. Some may say it's similar to a sommelier for wine. You have mm-hmm. to be able to dissect the coffee down to its core. There were 21 tests that we had to go through, all vigorous, everything from. Um, there, the, one of the harder ones was there were 50 vials of little Dixie cups, 50 vials, and they each had a component of bitterness, of sweetness and sourness. And you had to correctly identify the intensity of each one. So it could be a three sweet, two sour, two bitter, or it could be three sweet, one bitter, one sour. You have to be able to identify these things using everything that you're equipped with naturally in your mouth. And you had to guess them all correctly. So if you, you, you got 50 out of 50, you have to get 50 out of 50. The other one, the other wow. question, the other test was um, a lot of these are done in the dark. So mm-hmm. you can't go by color or anything like mm-hmm. that. So there's a coffee one where they put three out there and you had to de- determine which one didn't belong. So they could have put out two dark, one light, two medium, one dark, and you had to pick which one didn't belong and that was all in the dark and it was timed and that's just one that so those are two tests and there was 21 tests 
similar to that. 21. So how many of those were you in the dark for? I mean, I, I just, I'm imagining you sitting there in the dark and a whole lot of people with those night vision goggles get bringing you food. Is that- <laughs> uh, I would say more than half, more than half of those tests were in the dark. There were, wow. there was another test where you had to correctly identify. There's uh, it's called the Lenez. Some EAs use this and it's where you have to sniff, sniff a little vial. I know that sounds bad, but there's like uh, chocolate, there's lemon, vanilla, earth, um, medicinal. You have to identify all these different scents. And again, those you have to get 36 out of 36 in the dark. Another one. Oh, that, yeah. that, that, that's unbelievable. So how, when did you get that certificate? How long, how long ago was that? Yeah. So that was 2007, 2000. And, no, 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 uh, no, no. It was late. It was like maybe 2013. Okay. And, okay. Um, and on 10 years. Yeah, yeah, when people take that test, only 33% of the people that take that test pass. At wow. the year I took that test, there was only 300 Q-grade certified people in the country. When I took the test, there was 15 people total, and this was in Portland, and there were people from all over the world. There was a roaster for Ely, there was a barista from California, there was a lady from Australia, and all these people were getting calibrated to this Q-grader certification and the people who came and flew in and spent all this money to take this test and pass that didn't, I felt very bad for them. But they got the information, they got the knowledge, even though they don't have that certificate. Hey, there's 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 still aces in my book. Wow. Mm-hmm. We we sort of skipped over the farmers, and I want to come back to that because I think this is a really impactful part of your business. And as we're talking about the evolution of transitioning from chef to uh, being a, a coffee connoisseur. You decide you're going to start getting into the the language of coffee, as it were, and then obviously you had to start sourcing product. So I want to talk. I, I want to ask about your first of all about how you go into it, but then I've got follow up questions because I want to talk about what it takes to get it from the tree into my into my mug, my morning mug. So where do you find? How do you get your coffee, and what are the important things that you look for specifically when you're buying coffee from people. Yeah. When I, when I first started out and I was new to the coffee industry, when we took that Q graded course, it was my wife and I, we took the Q graded course on Portland. And one of those people was an importer out of New York. So they do a lot of cupping because they bring in all the coffees from all over the world. And so I had a direct relationship with him. Once I told him what I was going to be doing, he said, let me know when you want to try coffees, I'll give you samples. And I'm like, well, you know, I, more importantly, I want to make sure that one, the coffee's good, but two, the money's going directly to the farmer's site. I got you. Mm-hmm. So he would go, he would be the one to go to Kenya, to Colombia, to all these places. He'd, he'd see it firsthand. He'd take photos for me and he'd tell me exactly what it is that the money does. So for example, the Kenyan, the Kenyan coffee that I've had since I started this company in 2017, it was meant to help give ownership to women and they're at 33% female ownership in Kenya. That's huge. That that's, that's yeah. unheard of. Um, it's, it's Amazing. a male dominated country. And so yeah. when they get the money, they, you know, they hire the females and give them ownership. And I asked, uh, his name is Jonathan is like, Hey, uh, Jonathan. So what do these women do now that they have a new sense of self? Well, they buy fabric. <laughs> they buy fabric so they can make dresses so they can go out and have a good time. I'm like, you know what? That's 
Yeah, yeah. All right, give me bags of that. <laughs> let's yeah. do this. Let's do that. So that was my first taste of what money does for the people down there. So my next step was to actually go to there. I wanted to see it for myself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Kenya, but it was Guatemala. So when I went to Guatemala, I was right there, elbow deep in coffee beans with the farmers. And their kids were right beside me. There was a whole family thing. Every 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 member of that family has their duty. And you get to see all of that from the trees that they're that, that they're taking the, the beans off to them putting in baskets. The baskets then go into bags. The bags go onto the truck. The truck goes to the cafetal, which is where they get the coffee weighed out. And that's when they get paid. So when they get paid, when we buy the coffee after it's been dried, the Guatemalan coffee is strictly for schools, hospitals, and houses. Um, houses meaning uh, flooring. I helped a little mm-hmm. bit with making a, a, a cement or concrete out of sand, water, rocks. Uh-huh. Um, stoves get uh, built for them because the women, when they cook, they don't have access to ventilation. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of having giving them the resources to be able to live a but live live a little bit of a better life, but using the same export <laughs> that that I'm buying. Well, shoot, let's yeah, let's help them too. So every single one of my coffees has a story similar to that, and it's on your website too. You, yes. which, which is neat. So you talk about the, the coffee flavorings you get and all these really sophisticated notes that you get, but then you also make sure that you tell the story. So anytime anybody buys from you, what I think is so amazing about it is you're just this great pass through for all of these stories and these compelling reasons to buy, which, you know, this is what Dave and I do for a living is try and figure out compelling reasons for people to buy. Mm -hmm. You've got it everywhere on your website, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, The story behind everything. And as, as I was looking at your site and you know, you, the pictures of the beans and the backgrounds are just gorgeous. And was that all stuff that you sourced personally as in in your visits? Yeah, yeah. Cool. The, uh, some some of the photos are from Jonathan, but a lot of them are mine. Um, okay. Yeah, a lot. Of, yeah, most of them are mine, but uh, the others are from Jonathan, the importer, okay. who actually does. He does a little bit more traveling than I do. I'm jealous uh-huh. of that a little bit, but but he doesn't know how to roast. So. <laughs> and, and tactically, do you take the beans after they're dried and ship them home and then roast them here? Exactly. Yes. Well, okay. Let's, let's let's talk about it because I think a lot of people don't realize that coffee looks uh, on the tree looks like fruit. It's cherry. It looks uh, cherry and red colored, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly like a cherry. Exactly. So, yeah. If you put them side by side, it's just a bright red cherry instead of the deep dark cherry that we come to know. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. exactly a like a cherry. So walk us through from on the tree all the way to to your roastery. What are the steps involved <laughs> in doing that? Yeah. All right. So the tree, the tree can go up to about 20 years. It can't harvest it for at least the first three years. It's got to get used to it's what it's going to produce. And it's a once coffee it's ready, tree. Right? Once it's, right. what's that? It's a coffee tree. Yeah. It's technically it's a shrub. They're, they're probably about a little taller than me. So what, five, five, seven, five, eight. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're, they're about that size, but the, each one of them can harvest up to about 20 years and they only harvest one time a year. So once these, Cherries are picked, and they only take the ripe ones. Uh, that's the difference between machine picking and hand picking. All my coffees are hand picked, so they're not overripe, not underripe. They're perfectly ripe, so it's all uniform when they go to dry it. Once the coffee gets picked, it gets 
put through a machine that takes the skin and the flesh off of the, the, the fruit to be left with the seed that's inside. Mm-hmm. That seed then, after it leaves the machine, it gets put on patio beds, uh, concrete, uh, concrete patios outside. And depending on the climate and everything like that, the rain, climate, sun, all of that, it's a good 20 days, anywhere from 12 to 20 days, 20 minute intervals around the clock where it gets raked. It'll get raked up and down. Then it'll get raked left and right. Then it'll get raked in a circle to keep the beans moving so the moisture doesn't uh, d- doesn't cause any mold. Because once you get mold every, in there, every, every twenty minutes for twelve to twenty days. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And the and the beans are probably stacked a good four to five inches high on there. So just imagine fields and fields of of cement patios, and you got one guy just walking with the rake. Yeah. Just in the and you know they get paid you know fifty cents an hour, uh-huh. and then he's got to turn around and, and go back and start from the beginning. When yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wow. keep them keep them moving, and their their ideal. The reason they do that is because there's moisture content inside that seed, and they need to be around eleven to thirteen percent moisture content in order for it to perform the way it's supposed to. When I get it and put it in this roaster. Mm-hmm. 11 to 13 percent yeah if it's too if it's too dry it'll be brittle it'll break if it's too wet it'll take too long to roast and you get the the mossy mossy moldy gray ha- uh, hay uh-huh. gra- uh yeah hay flavors so yeah uh-huh. you can't have too much moisture but you can't have too little and that 11 to 13 percent is a sweet spot and they are surgeons when it comes to that wow amazing okay. so then it all gets uh bagged up sent yep. to you Yep. Then it gets bagged up. Um, it's bagged up and stored in the warehouse from the warehouse on a truck, on a truck to the port, from the port on a boat, on a boat to port here, port to truck, truck to warehouse, warehouse to the seller, seller to me. Got it. Wow. And then what, what do you do to it? I, I know adding fire is a big part of it. You mentioned that a little earlier. Mm-hmm. What's, yeah. What? How do you take the raw bean and turn it into a roasted coffee? What's the, what's the process behind that? Yeah, so I take the raw bean. I put six pounds of raw beans into this hopper right there. Okay. Then I drop the beans, and it goes falls into this drum where there's a drum that spins in circles. And down underneath here, there's four or five different uh, units where flames come out. And I control the flame. I control the fan. And I control. I don't control the speed of the drum, but it's continuously moving. So the fire is coming down from underneath while the beans are inside rotating. And yeah, it's a very, very sensitive process of roasting the coffee because kind of like grilling a steak, if you put a steak on the grill, if that grill isn't preheated, you're going to take forever on that steak and it's not going to be good. If that grill is way too hot, then you better be good enough to know that, okay, some of that heat is going to keep continue to cook that steak. And if you leave it on there too long, it's going to be dry. You're going to have a well-done steak and that's not good. So the ideal temperatures to have it when you first put the beans in is different than the ones, than the heat when it, the beans have to come out. So it's very, it's very tricky because it's kind of like baking in that sense to where, again, if you don't have a preheated oven, you can't put cupcakes in there until it's at the right temperature. You know, 200 degree oven is not going to make a cupcake, a 400 degree temperature oven is going to burn that cupcake. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I think one of the things that we're noticing a lot, Dave and I noticed a lot in 2022, is the idea of buyer awareness that people want it to be as easy as possible. And the, there's this sort of Amazon effect where people are realizing that if they can get on a, a, a subscription, then they can t- then they don't have to worry about things. So, like, I always need contact lens stuff, and you know. It's been the kiss of death for me. Is that anytime I take my contacts out, I'm I'm almost universally out of contact lens solution. So, the way I solved that was I, you know, I I have a service now, and a lot of people have those kind of services where they're just getting things sent to them on a regular basis. So, how how does it, and that's something you do the the subscription model. So, how does that work for you? Oh yes, exactly. That's that was the whole idea, the whole concept behind Idioma was a subscription based coffee delivery system. When I was going through culinary school in Chicago, that's when the Ubers started coming out. And that was brand mm-hmm. new. You could summon a car from your phone. Before you had to walk out to the street, you know, wave in the cold, get a cab, and you're good. But with Uber, you use your phone, right? They come to your house. You're not in the elements for more than 30 seconds, just what it takes to get leave the door into their car. And so I thought, well, shoot, if you can summon a car from your phone, why can't you summon coffee? So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just stole that idea. Uh, so the whole pro- the whole premise behind Idioma was have it be ready on your handheld device. So just a few clicks away, you're getting coffee delivered to your house. And that was that, yeah, that was the whole concept. And with the farmers in mind, people get good quality coffee. They don't have to worry about going to the store or running out of product. Mm-hmm. You know, that your that same issue that you had, Trigvi, is the reason I started this because, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. It's just going to show up. That's what subscription is. Yeah, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Farmers win. Customer wins. Idioma wins. Absolutely. But it, it seems like one of the things that you do as part of building the relationship that leads to the subscription is you tell an amazing story. I mean, obviously, you're a storyteller. We've been captivated already by just listening to you tell us how all of the beans come to be. And as I'm perusing the website and looking at your social media, it's clear that you're gifted with sharing what the flavor, and that's probably part of your Q certification, right? Where you can say, you know, this is where it comes from and this is what it tastes like. And this is the craft or the personality that goes into it. How did you do that to build the narrative of your business while continuing to grow and and kind of connect with customers. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, great. Thank you for asking that, Dave. The culinary school, it was a lot of food and wine. Wine mm-hmm. pairings, wine everything. Why does a certain wine taste taste the way it does with a certain uh another element you put onto it whether it's a a steak, yeah. a fish, whatever. Um but then when you just talk about wine there's so much language that's being translated through wine. So if you have a Napa Valley Cabernet and a Cabernet grape from France, those are two completely different wines, even though they're exact same grape. So what's different? Well, the terroir, right? So that means everything around those vineyards, the rain, the sun, the slope, the soil, everything that is around it makes a difference in the taste of that wine, even though it's the same exact grape. So when I get a coffee from uh, Central America, they're pretty similar. They're going to be all your nuts, your chocolatey um, type flavors. Mm-hmm. Your Colombians are going to be your dried fruit 
maybe a little bit of chocolate in there. And then your East Africans are going to be on the sweeter side. It's uh, your berries, your honeys. Mm -hmm. And that's just based on their terroir. It's the exact same thing. So when it comes to talking about different coffees, that's it's getting closer to how people talk about wine. Mm -hmm. people, are, people are geeking out. They are very passionate of the wine that they drink. Like uh -huh. some people say, I drink red wine. I drink white wine. Well, no, another saying, no, I drink a Cabernet from Napa or I drink a Riesling from Germany. They're getting specific as to what they are drinking. And that's what's happening in the coffee world right now. Well, and I, I suppose there's just as much geekery about preparation as there is sourcing beans, right? What's what's your recommended? Uh, is it pour over? Is it French press? Is it percolator? Yeah, what's what's the, what's the best? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. That's like that's like asking who the who the best superhero is. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, you can't say that out loud. <laughs> or or do, you, do you actually like to to pair specific coffees with specific preparations? Yeah, for sure. Everything from the roast. I did a cupping earlier today uh, just because mm -hmm. I had a Guatemalan honey that I got in this year's harvest and it looked different. The actual bean before it was roasted, it looked different. So I cupped it and it, I had to roast it a certain different, I had to roast it to 401 degrees, 413 degrees and 414 degrees just to see how that changed. Now, when I go to grind it, well, if it's going to be in a French press, it's going to be a coarse grind. If it's going to be in a percolator, it's going to be a medium grind. If it's going to be in an espresso, that's going to be a finer grind. All those different things matter. You can't put a coarse grind coffee into an espresso machine and vice versa. And that's just the grind. Then you got temperature of the water. Are you using 204 degrees water? Mm -hmm. Are you using 212? We all know it boils at 212, right? Mm -hmm. 12, you're boiling it. That's too hot. You're going to burn the coffee. You don't want that. Four, 204 is where you want to be. And then you go to the quality of the water. So is it tap water? Is it reverse osmosis water? Uh, is, is, is it water that you boil three different times to try to get all the impurities out of it? All right. these things make a difference. So all those, all those different attributes to making coffee have to it's going to be an, on an individual basis. Okay. Uh, like you could, I, you could, I can speak yeah. to that because I called him one day and I, I've been a long time subscriber and that's how I met him is, uh, you know, I said, Hey, I, I you know, I, I coffee's been a little weird. And he's like, well, have you tried better water? So I was like, what, what do you mean better water? He's like, yeah, yeah, you need better water. So I went to the store and I was one of those guys with the empty milk jug and got the gallon of distilled water. My wife's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. And then she drank it and went, we're getting water on a weekly basis now, aren't we? So we actually get four gallons of water every week because it's, he's, he's right. Uh, it, there's such a market difference between the two. Yeah. So dig down a little bit deeper on that question, Dave, uh, mm -hmm. drink, drink what you like. If you like French press, if you like uh, um, AeroPress, a percolator, mm -hmm. I mean, shoot, mm -hmm. whatever you like, do it. If you want to take your sweet time and do a pour over, by right. all means, knock yourself out. I, it's it's the character of the coffee is going to be how, however much effort you put into it. You uh -huh. know, like on the weekends, me and my wife, we take our time. We do a pour over uh, or we'll do a French press. Um, mm -hmm. in the, during the week, we have a machine that does our espresso. It's an automatic espresso machine. So right. it's just a matter of how, yeah, how you want to drink it. If it's good, drink sure. it. Yeah. And it, I think, 
Oh, go my ahead, Drake. first reaction with, with, with Obed's coffee is I, I was like, okay, well, I'll try this. Because my wife finally said I'm sick of I'm sick of all the coffee. So we got some, and I had been drinking a 32-ounce coffee every morning. And I was like, okay, fine. So we did the normal thing. We put we put the beans directly in, and then I had the 32 ounces of coffee. And then about four hours later, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack <laughs> because the caffeine differential from what I was drinking, from what I did, I literally took the dog for a walk and I was in the middle of February in a Minnesota winter screaming like Ric Flair, just going, woo, because I, I had to get it out of me because I had, I had so much. So the, 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 the direct-to-consumer route, and he really, I mean, this is really farm to cup, is really just the, 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 the difference maker is not only worth the value, but to be able to turn around and help farmers too is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sure. Dave, I, you're going to ask a question. Sorry about that. Uh, and Obed, you have a you have a fantastic story. You have you know a, an amazing pedigree on where you've come from. And one of the one of the key things that we try to to do and dial it in is elicit from our guests how they're improving their business and where their goals are for growth. So where where are you going and how how do you make those small adjustments to keep improving? Oh, for sure. There, there's there's two prongs to that to that. Uh the first one is coffee is ever changing. Just like wine. The example I gave earlier today, the Guatemalan honey that was harvested this year was different than the one from last year and I was able to kind of mimic the same profile of last year's harvest just based on the control I did with the roaster. So the customers that I have right now that prefer that deep, uh, deeper flavored Guatemalan honeyed, I can duplicate it even though it was from a different harvest and everything was different about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's keeping, that's keeping me, <laughs> keeping me experimenting with the coffee beans. I'm not going to get bored with it. It's going to change every year, every single Absolutely. time. And then the second one is that's, that's on my, on my side. I have a opportunity with what I'm doing to bring people and share with them what it is I'm doing, and I'm giving them uh, firsthand experience by taking them to origin. So in January, I'm actually taking 15 people to Guatemala, and it's going to wow. be a coffee immersion trip. It's going to be coffee tasting, coffee cupping, coffee picking. We're going to talk to the farmers. We're going to do a couple of hikes up a volcano. We're going to be there eating the food and the money that like the Guatemala coffee that I have here, you're going to see where that money goes to. There's actually a woman's center that we're going to be visiting and they teach uh, young females at at an early age to be self-sufficient, teach them how to cook, teach them how to sew, teach them all these things. And when you see that firsthand, it's different than anything I can say to you. So I'm taking 15 people down on the, just on, 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 on my passion that they will come back and be not necessarily as passionate as me, but become ambassadors for what it is Idioma is doing. Not necessarily just Idioma, but for all coffee farmers throughout the world, because it's, it's, it's the same story everywhere you go. They're not getting paid. Yeah. Um, they need help. And they're producing a crop that is the second most commodity trade behind oil. And mm-hmm. that money hasn't gone up. I think they're still around a dollar right now. It's it's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. So opening that eyes, that's how I'm going to grow. I want to take people down there and have ambassadors for me mm-hmm. to help us grow, help the farmers grow. And right. it's, 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 big, it's bigger than it's bigger than you and I, Dave. And, and, and building a community of people that care about certainly the, the mission 
and helping you forward that. So I, I, I love that you're taking it, you know, three steps past, you know, I just want to make more money. You know, yeah. I just, no, I, I, I want to impact the world. And that's really what people resonate with. You know, it ties in with your brand, you know, idioma, language, and it ties in with how you're connecting and the descriptions of the coffee and the different products and the subscription. I mean, you're, you're really inviting people to join your family. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. That's the growth is cool. a crusade to kind of bring this to the forefront. And uh, yeah, yeah, the, the crusade. I want to wanna do a couple of cheap pops before we take a little <laughs> break because I and then we have a rapid fire quiz. Oh, good. Yeah. Over, which what Dave and I are both really excited about. So you've mentioned Guatemalan honey twice now, and I have the privilege of being the first in line for the Guatemalan honey. So can you tell Dave and tell our listeners when you say Guatemalan honey, what is that? Because it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, all right, so Guatemala honey, when they pick the coffee off the tree, they put it through the machine. The machine takes the skin off, and then it takes the flesh off, and you dry the seed. With Guatemala honey, Guatemala honey, they take the skin off, but they leave the flesh on to dry it. Mm. So that means all those sugars are going to be dried with the seed intact. So when they're raking the coffee, and at that point, it's only, it's only two inches thick. That they do it. And that's every 12 minutes for 20 to 30 days. Because there's wow. so much more moisture content. It takes a lot, it's a lot more invasive process, a lot more sensitive because there's more activity for mold to grow. And that sweetness, you can taste it in the cup. That sweetness that sticks to the seed. And then it gets sent to me. I wish I could show you a photo of it. It's completely different than what the other coffees look like, but you can taste it in the cup. And there's a saying in the coffee industry: the truth is in the cup. Just, yeah. That's yes. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, second thing I wanted to ask you, Obed, was about the trip. And this is such an amazing, uh, immersive experience to be able to expand the community and create that ambassadorship and see directly how something as small as where you buy your coffee from makes such a huge difference. If somebody wants to know more information about that trip or go on that trip with you, how do they do that? Oh, yeah. Uh, super quick, super easy. Uh, go to my website, uh, hit contact, and uh, shoot me a quick note, and I'll get you everything you need, all the information. Idiomacoffee.com, right? Idiomacoffee.com. Yes, sir. Awesome. All right. Now, let's see how good this guy really is, Dave. We have pulled up the Starbucks menu, and we're going to ask you about all their specialty coffees and see if you can... I, I got to admit, I don't. I, I know what I like when I go there, but I don't know what any of these other things are. So hopefully, this is educational and helpful. But because yeah. I think what's amazing is it's it's coffee, it's milk, and it's some variation flavor. But let's do this as our lightning round. So, what is a cafe americano? Americano is uh, equal parts coffee and water. <laughs> A little, a little bit more hot water, but yeah, for the most part, yeah. It's, it's, it's watered down coffee. It's watered down coffee. Yep, yeah, that's it. Just water and coffee. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's a, what's a cafe misto? Cafe misto. 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 M i s t o. M i s t o. Ah, that's probably something they do. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll skip over that because we don't we don't want to advertise for it. So, yeah. what's a cappuccino? Oh, cappuccino. That is where you put the. Uh, the coffee at the bottom of it and then you put add water actually no you know what no it's foam it's foam it's foam in the cup and then uh your special shot over the top oh okay so 
And as opposed to a latte. As opposed to latte, where you put the shot of espresso on the bottom and you put uh, not foamy milk, but steamed milk over the top. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Espresso. For those people who don't know, everybody kind of knows that espresso is, you know, massive caffeine injection. But what what's the difference between that? How do you, how does one get to espresso as opposed to just traditional coffee? Oh, sure. Yeah. So a traditional coffee is going to have a certain grind size, and there is extraction that is done by adding water to those beans or to those grounds, and the amount of time you add to it, that's what you extract. Whereas an espresso is is a finer grind. And they use pressure to push that water through, and that's how you get the the espresso shot. So if you think about it, if you have the same amount of rocks and you pulverize those rocks and you pour water over the exact same you know weight of rocks and you add the same water to it, you're gonna have a watered down coffee when you go over the boulders, and you're gonna have a really, really uh, concentrated water when you go through the, the pulverized rocks. If, right. Yeah. And, and you're like squeezing it like a lemon or something to get more yes. juice out of it, right? Exactly. So more caffeine popping. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. exactly. All right. What's a flat white? The uh, flat white is espresso with steamed milk. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's creamy. It's, it's rather than, it's not frothy like the cappuccino. And uh, kind of like steam milk from the bottom of the jug instead of from the top. Uh, oh. When you're a barista, there's, there's, yeah, it mm-hmm. changes up a little bit. Okay. And, and what's what's a macchiato? <laughs> macchiato, uh, long macchiato. Um, it's just steamed milk and an espresso, kind of, kind of the same, right? Mm-hmm. But it's um, a lot of times there's uh, syrups that are added to it. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So like flavored syrups. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, cap- it's a cappuccino with flavor. Yes, 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 right. yes, yes. All right. So what's a mocha? That's what mocha. I, that's my, that's my uh-huh. drink. Yeah. It's uh, just, you add chocolate. Uh, you, you can add uh, chocolate see, syrup. You can add chocolate, you know, cocoa powder. You can add chocolate ice cream. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Starbucks, I don't think has this. It's called an affogato. And this one is uh. You put a, a bowl uh, in in. You put a scoop of ice cream with a shot of espresso over the top of it. Oh lord! Oh, that sounds amazing, right? Yeah. Hot, espre- hot espresso or cold espresso? Uh, hot, hot. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little a little <laughs> elementary for you. I'm I fear, but what what's the difference between dark roast and medium roast coffee? It was is one more caffeinated or? Yeah, what what are the differences in in roast? Yeah, I get that question so often, and um, the caffeine content is the same, okay. whether it's uh, light, medium, or dark. Uh, there's a misconception that people say, "Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's the darker the bean, the more caffeine." I was like, "No, um, what happens is what happens is the weight. When the beans first go into the hopper, they have a certain weight. I'm going to lose 18 percent of the bean content just by the roasting process. So it's going to release moisture. It's going to release its outer skin. So that weight becomes a little bit lighter. So by weight, it has more caffeine because there's less weight coffee. When it's first in there, it's a heavier bean with the same amount of caffeine. But if you take a little bit of that weight, it's going to, 
the, the misconception is that it has more caffeine, but it's just that there's less coffee by weight to the same amount of caffeine. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So when it comes to light, medium, and dark, there's there's certain points in the coffee where when I'm roasting it, there's a first pop that is sounds like a popcorn. Sounds like this. <laughs> and that's the beginning of the light roast. And then after that's done, it takes uh, maybe a minute or so for that to be finished. And then it goes through, and then there will be another. It'll sound like Rice Krispies. And that's a sounds like Rice Krispies, right? Instead uh-huh. of instead of popcorn real loud, it's Rice Krispies, but it's still another pop. And that's the beginning of the dark roast. So it's a matter of, and then medium is right in between those two. Okay. First crack, mm-hmm. second crack, medium roast. I, I, I didn't really realize, I, I'm just in awe of how complicated this was. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, hey, it's my language, Trigby. Uh-huh. Well, absolutely, you speak, you speak it well. All right, I think, uh, what, is, uh, what is a cold brew as opposed to a hot brew? Oh, yeah. So coffee has natural oils. Uh, yeah, it just has natural oils. So if you heat your water up, let's say you heat it up to 204 versus 212, you're going to extract more oil with the hotter water. And sometimes if it's too hot of water, you're going to burn those oils. So those oils come out and they're going to come out quick with the cold press, which means you add just room temperature water, right? You add it to the beans and you steep it kind of like you do a tea. So it's a subtle way of extracting those oils. And because you're not extracting out all the oils, it's going to lead to a sweeter cup because it's not going to be as bitter. Yeah. And is, is nitro brew just basically attacking it like a Guinness and, uh, and throwing nitrogen in it? That's exactly what it is. Uh, okay. Yeah, I work with a I work with a, a brewery that has the coffee on 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 uh, on tap, uh-huh. a nitro cold pressed coffee, and that's exactly what they do. I roast the coffee because what they do is is they is they they can add a shot of uh, the nitro pressed coffee and then they put uh, beer over the top of it, so it's a coffee infused uh-huh. beer. Right. When I roast it, I got to be sure to not have so much acidity that it fights with the acidity of their beer. So I got to be careful to to not overdo it, but definitely don't underdo it because that's that's mm-hmm. where the acidity lives. So I got to be somewhere in between here to where they can actually taste the good coffee, not be too acidic for their beer, but be acidic enough to where somebody can taste it straight up. And that nitro process gives it that Guinness body. Yes, it's a great way of drinking coffee. Fantastic wow. way of drinking coffee. Okay, because it's cold press, um, uh-huh. it's diluted, mm-hmm. so it, it can hit. It can hit you. It can hit you. And I want to talk about one last thing before we go because I've been privileged to enjoy some of your mad scientist coffee. Talk about the bourbon coffee that you made. Oh yeah, all right, yeah. So that one, that one was fun. Um, there's another brewery that uh, I partnered up with, and they were interested in doing a bourbon infused coffee. And so, yeah, I, this was maybe about two, three years ago. And at the time it was only about a three year process. So we got some local bourbon barrels from a local distillery and I ordered some coffee from, from, from my guy. It was a Rwandan coffee and the, we chose a Rwandan coffee because it had notes of tobacco and chocolate in there. Uh-huh. So the bourbon barrel is emptied uh-huh. out. There's, there's no booze in it whatsoever. Yep. And so I loaded the barrel with these Rwandan coffees. They would turn it every so often for about maybe 30 to 45 days. 
And then once that was once that process was done, I would roast it and it took on the bourbon, the bourbon notes. So you had bourbon flavored coffee. And uh yeah, that would be a good affogato right there. It oh, was yeah. uh, it was one of the most unbelievable taste experiences I've ever had. <laughs> so I do woodworking in my spare time. Obed actually gave me the barrel. And so oh my. in uh, sort of an honoring, I, I, I tried to honor the coffee and honor the idioma process. So what I did is I turned those into table settings in the middle, and then I gave them all to a local television station's cancer fund. And he, he actually, even after the barrel was all deconstructed and I, I created these, uh, these table stakes, that people bought, we sold the barrel for hundreds and hundreds of dollars and all the money went to cancer research. So it was a full-blown uh, experience from the tree all the way to de- re- deconstructing the barrel. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Love that story. Obed, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I don't know about you, Dave, but I think I kind of need a refill right now. I, I'm so glad I, I topped off my mug right before we started. But yeah, I, I need to uh, rebrew something better, I think, because I just did my, my normal drip. And uh, now I got to have some real good coffee. So I'm going to subscribe today. Awesome. Obed, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. If you'd like to learn more about Obed and the language of coffee, visit him online at idiomacoffee.com.